Hello church, welcome to the fall season at MPC. I've always loved this time of year, getting back into a routine after vacation, gathering with the church family, watching Husky football, enjoying the crisp, clear, clean air of autumn. Sadly, this fall will be quite different. Trusting in the Lord, we continue to soldier on, making the best of our situation, all the while looking forward to the time when this pandemic will be in the rearview mirror. May the Lord hasten that day. Present circumstances being what they are, it's easy to become discouraged. I had a, a telemed visit with my doctor the other day, and one of the first questions he asked me was a question he asked all his patients. Are you depressed? We're all feeling it. The COVID virus doesn't seem to want to go away. People continue to suffer from the disease itself or, or from the social isolation that it has imposed or the economic dislocations that it has caused. Add to this the political polarization present in our culture and the high-octane vitriol surrounding the presidential election. And the wildfires and the smoke of the past week have added to the general sense of gloom and doom. Beyond that, there's the general discouragement life can bring. An intractable illness just doesn't seem to get better, a relationship that doesn't want to heal, dreams that don't materialize, wonderful opportunities that don't pan out, personal issues that just don't seem to get resolved. Discouragement. We've all experienced it. Discouragement, as the word indicates, leaves us without courage. Self-confidence disappears. Deep and continual discouragement can turn into a feeling of dread, as though one were entering into a dark cave or a, or a narrowing tunnel with no light at the end. Discouragement can lead to a spirit of resignation, of hopelessness, of utter despair. What's the Lord saying to us in all this? And what's He saying to His church in this time of great disruption and change? Leaders in the church are trying to figure out what a post-quarantine church looks like and what it will take to minister effectively to a, a now changed and constantly changing world. Well, today I want to begin a series of messages on the theme, What Jesus is Saying to His Church. We'll be taking a look at Jesus' words to the churches found in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, completes the story, begun in Genesis, of the cosmic battle between good and evil being waged on earth. It ends with a picture of the victory of our God and a vision of a new heaven and a new earth. Now, Revelation is notoriously hard to interpret, filled as it is with symbols and metaphors and allusions. But the general theme of the book speaks as powerfully to us today as it did to the Christians back in the first century. Ancient tradition says that Revelation was written by the Apostle John, the son of Zebedee, one of the twelve, and the writer of the three letters of John in the New Testament. Many scholars believe it must have been written by a different John, citing stylistic differences, among other reasons. But in any case, John was exercising authority in the church, and the Lord of the church chose to reveal his message to him in a vision. And John faithfully communicated this revelation to his fellow believers for their encouragement and correction. The vision came to John at a time of great personal discouragement. One only has to think of his situation. He was a captive of the Roman government, and as such was forcibly sent into exile to Patmos, a small rocky island off the coast of present-day Turkey. 
Scholars of the first century have found evidences that the Romans maintained rock quarries on Patmos, to which prisoners and banished troublemakers were, were sent to live out their lives. Such was John's lot. Life was very difficult indeed. For someone who cared deeply about his brothers and sisters in, in the church, a sense of social isolation must have been awful. The churches in that day were in a sorry state, and, and uh, he, being a leader in the church, seemed powerless to help. So much had changed. The Christian faith initially spread like wildfire, and churches were springing up all over the Roman Empire. He had been greatly encouraged as Christ was proclaimed in the marketplace and in homes and temple squares, and so many were coming to faith. Everything seemed to be looking up for the Christian movement. John himself was an important leader in the church, lovingly giving himself in service to his people. But then opposition against the church began to escalate. There were ruthless government crackdowns. The Roman emperor tried to stamp out any who would not offer sacrifices to him as divine. Persecution became a fact of life for the church. John himself was made a prisoner because of his preaching of the word and was carried off into exile. In addition to external threats, churches faced idolatry and immorality from within their own fellowships. False teachers were leading many astray. So John was depressed, not only by his own situation, but also by the, by the state of the Christian church and by the state of the world where the forces of darkness seemed to be beating back the forces of light. Things looked grim. In his isolation, sitting in some dark cave, John must have felt helpless and thoroughly disillusioned. Scary thoughts must have entered his mind. Has God abandoned the cause? Has God given up on the church? Many followers of Jesus in our own day feel equally grim and discouraged about the state of the Christian church. In many places, it seems to be in retreat. Not too long ago, Christian faith enjoyed prominence in society. Indeed, it was the glue that held society together. The church was a powerful moral voice to which people paid heed. But now the church has been marginalized and basically ignored by our culture. The Christian church in our society has seemed strangely powerless and seemingly without a vision or purpose. Its priorities seem to be confused. Like the church in John's day, it struggles with hostile societal attitudes from without and false teachings, idolatry, and immorality from within. Church leaders are discouraged. They, they look at the declining membership statistics of their churches and they wonder if their congregation has a future. Has God abandoned the church? Why does the Christian church seem so weak and ineffectual, unable to make a difference in the world today? Well, amidst John's discouragement over his own personal situation and, and being dismayed by the state of the world and, and that of the church he so loved, John experienced a vision at once so powerful and so dramatic that it literally knocked him off his feet. Let's read his account now from the book of Revelation, beginning with the first chapter, the first verse. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, 
grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see that the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all his brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Whatever discouragement John was feeling at the time quickly gave way to a spirit of elation, of courage, of confidence, of hope. He tells us what happened. He says, I was on, in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That is, he was worshiping the Lord one Sunday, as was his habit, when he was bowled over by the sound of a voice like a trumpet. And he turned and saw a glorious vision of the exalted Christ. It was so grand that words could not fully describe. He attempts to give us a picture of what he saw, and is rich with biblical symbolism. It's a magnificent picture of the Lord high and lifted up. He says he saw one who was like a son of man, hearkening back to the exalted Messiah figure in Daniel, who was to come with the clouds to bring judgment. He wore a robe and sash, the garb of a high priest who represents God to the people and the people to God. His head and hair were white as wool, signs of wisdom and purity. His eyes were like a flame of fire, penetrating, burning away all that is impure and unholy. His feet were like burnished bronze, stable, a worthy foundation in which to place our trust. 
And out of his mouth came a double-edged sword, symbolizing the piercing force of his message and his ability to discern the hearts of people. And this impressive figure is seen walking among the seven golden lampstands, which are the seven churches of Asia to whom John is to write. And he holds in his hands the seven stars, the angels of the churches, which may refer to the elders or, or pastors of those churches. The point is that Jesus Christ walks among the churches. He has not abandoned them, and he holds them in his hands. He grasps all the churches in his loving care. He is the risen, exalted, living Lord in all his splendor and glory. Here is the Lord, powerful to save, eager to help, worthy of our trust no matter how desperate the times. It's a magnificent picture of Jesus. This vision was exactly what had discouraged John and what discouraged people and churches needed then and now. No matter how bad things seem, no matter how grim the outlook, no matter how deep the discouragement, Jesus Christ is alive and well. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, he says. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and see, I'm alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Over and above all the disappointment and heartache is Jesus Christ, who is bringing about his loving purposes, despite appearances to the contrary. He is the one who can unlock the prison house of discouragement and resignation. He brings life out of death. And to John, he says, now write what you have seen and send it to the churches. Jesus Christ walks among us, holding us in his competent hands. Hallelujah. This is a wonderful assurance for us today. Christ will not let us go. He's with us. He holds the situations and problems of today in the palm of his concern. He will give us the power and insight we need for today. If we ask him, he will give us his perspective on our needs and his partnership in facing and conquering our problems, however impossible they appear. The challenge for all of us who so easily get discouraged in life, be it over our own personal situation or our discouragement over the state of the world and of today's church, is to keep this grand vision of the exalted Christ before us. It means stepping out of our cave-like discouragement in order to see the bigger picture. The vision of his loving, living, reigning presence must be kept ever before us. Where there is discouragement and poor morale, there is a lack of vision. Show me a weak church and I will show you a church that has failed to keep Jesus Christ front and center in her life and ministry. Where there is no vision, discouragement is bound to follow. We can all get so busy bogged down by all our problems that we miss the big picture, the, the grand vision of our powerful Lord who would accomplish amazing things through us. All this is, is a very helpful reminder to us as we begin the fall season of the church, that in all that we do, we must keep Jesus Christ front and center. We must keep the grand vision of his living presence always before us, lest we quickly give in to discouragement and negative thinking. I think you and I tend to think too small and take a woe-is-me approach to life. But John's vision reminds us that God, the God we serve is bigger than any problem we have or any obstacle we face. Could I give you some counsel? If you have been discouraged lately, spend some time meditating 
on this first chapter of the book of Revelation. Allow the big picture to sink in. Note all the titles and attributes given to Jesus Christ. Jesus who was, who is, who is to come, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth, who loves us, frees us from sin, coming with the clouds, the first and the last, the Almighty. We serve a mighty Lord. Let the grandness of the vision shared by John encourage you. Allow yourself to be enthralled by the greatness and splendor of Jesus Christ. And that's what our worship is supposed to be all about, to get a bigger picture, a grander vision of who he is and of how he's at work in our lives and in our world. Our God is an awesome God. So great is the Lord that he will never disappoint us, never abandon us, and nothing shall ultimately separate us from his great love. Be encouraged. I am with you always, says the Lord, even to the end of the age. Amen.